you know, I've been in ministry for over 30 years in some capacity. We've been here at Mosaic. This is our either ninth or 10th Easter together. And pastors will tell you one of the most difficult things to do is to make something as well-known and as repeated as Easter and Christmas fresh or new or some way creative. And um, that's a real wrestling match, and I'll tell you why. Jesus um, should just stand on his own. And the story in and of itself is a beautiful story, and it's the telling of the story and the applying of the story and, and learning to allow God to express himself to us through and in the story that, that is so profound. But as somebody who has to teach it every year, you're thinking, how, do, how is there a way for me to make it fresh? You know what's really cool about that? I can't, and I shouldn't. See, the moment I try to somehow make the story like relevant beyond its pure relevance, I make it novel. And you know what Jesus' resurrection was not? Novel. So I have to now lean into a doctrine. And the doctrine has to do with the word being active and alive and God's grace and mercies being new every day. And so here's the truth of the matter. God's word is alive and it's active and it moves and it says it'll penetrate right through to the very inner of our being. And it'll speak to us right where we are and who we are in every circumstance that we find ourselves. On top of that, his word says that his mercies, his grace are new every day, which means it's fresh. Now, sometimes we sit here and we go, well, it doesn't seem very fresh to me all the time. In fact, sometimes it doesn't feel fresh at all. And there are long periods of time where it seems almost even stale or distant. And, and I would commiserate with you. But that's what makes, I think, today so important. Because the fact of the matter is, is that happens when we allow the sinful nature of our outer being to gradually separate us from the presence of the Father. You ever been with somebody, but you're not really with them? I mean, you're with them, but you're not present. Anybody? Or you ever been in a situation where you would love to be having a conversation with this person, but for whatever reason, there's no connecting, there's no presence involved? I think that one of the loneliest places we can find ourselves is to actually be with somebody who's not actually present with us. I think that's what makes cell phones so monstrous in our culture. I Forgive me, but you know, have you, when was the last time you sat at a table where nobody had their phones out? Where you would love to engage in conversation, but they've got it either under the table or even bold enough to have it right in your grill while you're talking and they're scrolling through what they want. They, so they're with you, but they're not present. My whole sermon got turned upside down yesterday afternoon. I started preparing on Monday reading through the book of Isaiah, chapters 49 through 62. There's these beautiful expressions of who the Messiah would be and all these wonderful prophecies and describing the person of Jesus and, 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 and who he was and how God would send him and what it is that he would achieve when he came. This hundreds of years before Jesus would actually show up. And I was so excited to talk through and teach through Isaiah. Then Friday night, we did a thing. We had a showing of the Passion of the Christ. Phenomenal movie, remarkable. But you know what? I've never seen it. Now, when it, the year it came out, 
I didn't go to see it because I thought, I, you know, I, I, I grew up Catholic, I love my crucifix, I think and meditate on the, on, on the passion and the suffering of Jesus regularly. I'm not unaware of what transpired, and I had heard that it was just very graphic, and I thought, hey, this is how I've taught it, described it, envisioned it as an artist. This is how I've expressed it with paint, with sculpture, with drawing, and I didn't, decided not to go see it. But I went ahead and bought it. It still sits in my collection with the cellophane on it because I never opened it. So we chose then to show this film on Friday evening and I stood in the back of the balcony and I watched it. Because this time I was compelled. I, I could not not see it. My heart, for whatever season, reason, was aching to see it. And I welled up with tears probably six or eight times through the movie as I watched my Jesus. But it wasn't just the suffering that caused me to well up. It was actually how they portrayed his presence with his people. Those he loved and those he held dear and those he had relationship with. So I get a phone call yesterday afternoon and my sermon's already getting wobbly in my head because God is messing with me big time. And I'm working through all my Isaiah passages all day yesterday, and I get this phone call from a young man who I'm acquainted with, and he's just struggling in life right now. It's just one of those, we all have those moments when we're struggling and we have questions and we're wondering why. And, and he just said, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm talking to him, I'm actually making lunch while I'm talking to him because I had my grandkids around. And, 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 and so I just began to pray, Lord, give me, I don't know, I, show me, what, what do you want? And the word presence came up in my head, just presence. And so I said to him, I said, you know, I said, here's the deal. Just be present. Just be present. You know what dawned on me in that moment? You know what our I love you is to the person next to us? It's not being with them. It's being present. Hmm. And we get so distracted by our world and so anxious and so spun around that we're with so many and present with so few. And the only thing I could say to this young man who was desperate to see his life turn was to say, be present. When you're with someone, be present with them. And everything else falls to the side. In the midst of this conversation, I realized the Lord was actually speaking to me. And he was saying, Anthony, be present. And tell my people to be present. And share with them my greatest desire, the reason I have done what I've done, the reason I sent my son, the reason he did what he did and sacrificed what he sacrificed, was to restore presence. Not to just to be with, or to know about. So you have a young couple who's sitting in the congregation right now who God woke me up at 3.12 in the morning to pray for. I don't know why. I don't even like them. <laughs> I woke up at 3, tried to go back to sleep. God said no. I tried to go back to sleep. God said no. I said, please, just let me sleep. And he said no. So I got up, and I had a rush of panic go through my body. Just a rush of panic. And this couple was right here. And I had to pray for them for three and a half hours. You know what the Lord was convicting me of? Being present even when we're apart. 
See, I hadn't seen them in a month. And they're going through some difficult times. And the Lord just said, Anthony, be present with them. Just be present. And I had the privilege of loving them by being present through prayer for three hours. See, that's a gift from God. That's the beauty of the kingdom. That's what Jesus came to die for, to pay for, to restore our presence with him and with one another. Does this make sense? See, that's why it hurts so bad when you're with somebody, but they won't be with you. And you long for their presence, but they won't be. And it hurts. It's offensive. Why? Because they're showing us our value. And we're showing them our value, their value to us, when we refuse to be present. See, what we're going to look at, we're going to go through the scriptures. And one service we went through about 15. Last one we went through two. We'll see what the Lord does today, right? But you know what he wants us to know? What he was willing to pay for our presence. What he was willing to go through for our presence. You ready? Awesome. Grab your Bible, if you have one. Open it to Genesis. If you don't have one, grab one from the pew in front of you. And if you still don't have one, share with the person next to you. Snuggle up. Snuggle up. Be present with each other. Be present. And we'll see what... uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, sugar shack. What did I do with my... uh Uh-oh, Sherry, sweetheart. My glasses are on my desk. Y'all don't want me to try to read without my glasses. Okay. So we're in Genesis chapter 1, and while we're looking for Genesis chapter 1, because I do know what the first verse is, we'll, we'll, I'm going to pray and then we'll go. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's alive and it's active. And we thank you, Father, that you, you have made this thing fresh and new, that is, it, it's really a tiny book this really is, in the scope and grandeur of who you are. You have made it in such a way that it explodes in our hearts and in our minds every time we read it, if we're willing to be present. So thank you for that, that even if it's familiar, Lord, you make it new and fresh. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at that first verse, and what does it say? In the beginning was God, right? Everybody say it with me. Ready? In the beginning was God. Now notice how fast that comes out of our... Right? In the beginning is God. Didn't we just read that verse like we do life? In the beginning it was God, and there are two things we did. First of all, we know it so well, it's familiar, we just go. The next thing is this. I'm ADD, hold on a minute. Where did that go? In the beginning it was God, it goes really fast. We read right, we know it, it's familiar, we read right past it. But the other thing is this. In the beginning it was God tells us that something's following. And so you know what we do with life every day? We wanna get through the now, right now, to get to what we're going. We wanna reach, we wanna go. So in the beginning with God, we read that and we go, okay, that's cool, zing. And what's it really saying? We want to get to the story. And in doing that for a lifetime, do you know what we've forgotten? How profound it is that those first few words say this, in the beginning. Mm. And you're going, what? Stop. God. Eternal past, eternal present, eternal future. 
He has always been. He is now. He will always be. There is no beginning or ending to God. And yet, it says, in the beginning, God. Do we realize how important this moment is? Somehow, now we can't grasp this. Understand, we, eternity is, is so ridiculous. Thank you. Eternity is so ridiculous that we can't even begin to conceive what it means to not have a beginning or an end. We have been born in time. And time has a start and time has a finish. And we're finite and so we have a beginning and an end. And yet God does not. But somehow in God's wisdom and his eternal presence, he chose a moment when he said time begins now. God in his eternal existence chose a moment in time to express his infinite wisdom and imagination to say, now is the beginning. Don't hurt yourself. But that's ridiculous. Because this is what I want us to recognize. I believe this is what he wants us to see. That there was a moment in time when God, in his eternal existence, chose to start something. Chose to manifest the expression of his glory, the expression of his mercy, the expression of his grace and his goodness, the expression of his creativity, the expression of his person. There was a moment in time when he said, now is the moment, this is the beginning. And when he did that, this is what he did. I want to be present. And I want to be present with who I've created. God in his glory, in his goodness, in his wisdom, recognized that there's nothing greater than his own glory. And that, it, it, that he, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have enjoyed each other's glory for all eternity. And there came a moment, I don't know if it was a conversation, just a, a thought, a, but something happened. And God said, now in the beginning, and this is what he chose to do. He said, in my glory, I recognize the sweetness of our relationship and this beautiful community that we have, this race to serve one another, to submit to one another, to edify one another, to glorify one another. I want to do this. I want to create someone who can enjoy this with me. Knowing the sweetness of my glory, the greatest thing that I can do is create something for the purpose of enjoying that sweetness. And God said, now is the time. Mm. Now. In the beginning, God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They did not exist before. There were the, the, uh, the elements from which they were made did not even exist. So he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse two. Now he says, now the earth was formless and empty. That, those words in the Hebrew mean chaotic and void of life. And so God says in the beginning, I will create, and he begins to speak, and in his speaking, 
the formation of the earth comes and it says, and the, he created the heavens and the earth and now the earth was formless and empty. It was void and chaotic. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And look what he does. And God becomes present in the chaos. And the spirit hovered over the waters. What do I want us to see here? Have you ever been in life and life seems to be void and life seems to be empty and life seems to be chaotic? You ever been in life and it seems like nothing can be present except trouble and suffering and hurt and sorrow and distance and longing and hunger? You ever feel that way? And you wonder where in the world is this God or where in the world is this Father? Where in the world is this? Listen. You know what God is saying in this beautiful introduction to this grand letter that he's written to us to express his affection to us? In the beginning, I, God, chose now to create and create for the purpose of presence that you and all of creation would both express and experience the joy and the gladness and the sweetness of my glory. And I know that there are times that it is empty and void and chaotic, but I promise you my spirit is present and hovering desiring presence with you. All that in this little introduction. All that in this grand backdrop. All that from the heart of our Father who longs to know us. Who longs to know us. Who longs to be present. So in the beginning was God, and God created the heavens and the earth, and they were empty, void, chaotic. Yet there the Spirit hovered, present. Go to verse 26, if you would. Now, in preparation for reading verse 26. There are a number of verses here where God now creates, and in his, create, in his creating, he speaks these things into existence, and it's light and dark, and it's land and sea, and it's, it's the stars and the sky and the plants that would grow and the animals that would teem in the waters. And every time he would speak something into existence, that day he would look back at what he created and he would say, this is good, this is good, this is good. Then day six rolls around, and something different happens. Look what it says. Verse 26. Then God said, let what? What's it say? Let what? Let what? Us. Let us. What did it say up to this point? God, 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 singular. In the beginning was God. Now we see a picture of the spirit in verse two, but we're thinking to ourselves, well, that, is that just the spirit of God? Is that just God hovering? Listen, there's something that happens at this moment, and it's something so profound that we can easily miss it, and it is this. God goes from singular in his description of who he is and what he's done, and the moment he's about to create relationship, you know what he calls himself? Us. You know what he's doing? He's demonstrating himself. You know what he's doing here? He's saying, what I am now you will be with us and with one another. He is now unveiling the Trinity and he's saying, we, us, engaged with one another, present with one another, edifying one another, subjecting ourselves to one another, glorifying one another. We who function in perfect community 
in beautiful fellowship, present with one another always. We are now going to make you. And the purpose of this creation is that you might be present with us. And now you might be present with one another. That you would be present. Present. Isn't that beautiful? This is the hinge point. This is the turning of the tide. Watch this, verse 26. Stop messing with my Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. Let them rule and have dominion and care for all the creatures that move along the ground. Let them do this as we do this over them. We are now commissioning them to join us in dominion, to join us in care, to join us in the present to be present with creation, to be, take care of those that we have created, to express affection to one another as we express it to one another and to them, and then draw it back to us from them. This is the creation, this is the beauty of God. This is incredible, because everything that God does is a reflection of his community. Everything he desires is for us to experience who he is and how he loves and how he relates and how he is present in engagement. That's why it hurts so much when we so long to be present, but there's separation and distance. That's why it's so frustrating when you want to get close and either there's no one to be close to or no, no one will engage. It's just, that's why when we blink at the end of the day and we begin to sink into sleep and we reflect, we're so disappointed that I don't remember who I spoke to or who spoke to me because we weren't created for that. We were created for us, for we to be present with him and one another. This is what we were created for. And so when we don't have it, we long. When we don't have it, we crave. When we don't have it, we don't have it. We don't have it. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. Not just physicality, not just body, soul, and spirit, but nature and relationship and need. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, each with their own limitations that would cause the other to care for the other. There's a phrase I love to use. My, imitation, my limitation is your invitation. Think about that for a minute. I'm, one of the things we must learn to love is our limitations. Do you realize God limits himself? Jesus limited himself to one place and one time. 
The Father limits himself to give glory to the Son, to remain where he is to allow the Son to minister. The Holy Spirit limits himself in regard to only speaking that which he has seen in the Son. The Son limited himself and he only said that which we heard from the Father. And because they limit themselves, they give beautiful permission, an invitation for each to complete the other. And so it is with us. That my limitations invite God into my, and invites God into my heart. That my limitations invite you into my life. That my limitations allow my wife to make up for the things that I lack. For my children to make up for the things that we lack as parents and people. This is a beautiful part of the design. It is what causes us to need to be present and then to want to be present and then to celebrate the presence as we each, in our limitations, accept the invitations to be a part of something bigger and more. Does this make sense? See, this is God's design and it's for the purpose of love. So we go on. So God created man in his own image. In, his image, in the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Care for them. Verse 31 at every turn, when God created something, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. Now, verse 31 says this, God saw now all that he had made and the pinnacle, which would be man in his own image. And now he sees that this is what? What's it say? This is very good. This is very good. You ever see something that's very good? I mean, there's good and then there's very good, right? Got a brownie, that's good. Got my wife's brownie, that's very good. In fact, my wife's brownie is so very good that I won't even eat the good. I don't want to waste calories on something that's only good. Give me the very good, right? Very good means there's some sort of value here that causes it to rise above all other things. And that's what God has done. And seeing what he has made and seeing that it is good and a reflection of his goodness, of his very character. Now, he, now man enters in and this beautiful presence exists and this relationship of enjoyment comes. And he says, now this is really good. This is wonderful. This is awesome. And this is God's heart speaking about us. Go to chapter two if you would. Starting at verse four. Here we go. Verse four says this, it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. Now we just saw the general creation, now we see the more specifics. This is the account of the heavens and the earth and when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub, or field had, uh, shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground and the Lord God formed the man. The Lord God formed the man. Now, as we look at the general 
the general creation in the chapter one, we see God speaking these things into existence and making that which had been made. Now we see something new. There's a new phrase. And this phrase has to do with God's ingenuity and his personal attention and his hands, listen, his hands being applied to it. He gathers the dust of the ground and he forms the man. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever, have you ever, um, have you ever um, tried to gather dust? Yeah? Gather dust? What's it do? Right? You gather it and it falls through your fingers. You gather, it doesn't stick. One of the things I love to do is redeem our imaginations. I believe we were given our imagination to actually picture God as we read the word and we pray and we spend time imagining, you know, just imagining who he is. And I want to redeem our imaginations for a moment. And being ADD and an artist, that's a terrible combination. You just have to know my imagination's always... So here's the deal. This is what I... There's a story in the New Testament that I absolutely love, and it's that Jesus has a blind man come to him for sight. Now, this isn't anything new or anything different. God, you know, Jesus restored the blind, the, the sight to many blind. But this particular story is a little different than this. We've seen Jesus touch someone as to heal them. We've seen him pray for them from a distance and heal them. We've seen, them even, he's seen him even heal somebody and have them not even be in the same proximity and they're healed. But something different happened in this particular story. It says that he bent down and he spit in the ground. He spit. And he made mud. And then he took the mud and he applied it to the eyes of the blind and healed him. You know what I imagine at this moment? I think he spit in the ground. I think he just... I think the creation of Adam could not have been merely of dust because dust will not cling together. But if God spits on the ground and makes mud, he can sculpt. There are wonderful things about this story that we need to grasp. First is the hinge point we talked about a moment ago, that all of creation is spoken from the mouth of God. But when he begins to dream of man, he says, this is about us, we. And then it says, we made man in our image. And so when we get down to this specific thing, this is what I want us to recognize. The three of them were together because this was at the us point. This was at the we point. This is God who is one, now three. And as they form and shape the body of Adam, I can only imagine that what's happening is they're looking at him and, and, and something comes to the mind of God or has been in the mind of God. And he wrote it in Ephesians. And it said, before the earth was made, this plan had been set in motion. Before all of creation he had already set this plan in motion. Do you know what that tells me? That before Adam was ever formed, Jesus already knew what was being asked of him. Which meant when they formed the body of Adam and they sculpted it according to their likeness, that the three of them stood there and I can imagine God leaning over to Jesus and looking at him and saying to him this, are you ready? Are you ready? Because the moment I breathe into the nostrils of Adam, the scars will form on your hands and feet. This makes this statement even more profound. That Jesus said to his disciples that no man takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. This happened before Adam 
ever breathed. Which means that God's love was expressed for our salvation and the sacrifice it would take to bring it before we even sinned. That Jesus gave the Father permission to begin the act before we ever came to be. Which means we were formed with full knowledge that he would pay for presence and pay with his life. And you know what he said? Yes. Do it. I'm ready. I will pay for presence. I'll pay for it. That's profound. That is profound. Verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrubbed field were on it, right? Verse 15 now. The Lord took the man that he had created. And he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Stop. Now, this is really important. You know how God expresses his love to us? His greatest expression of love? You know what it is? His presence. Think about that for a minute. The very reason we were created was to be present with him and to enjoy his glory, to taste the sweetness that is God. That's why we were created, which means his great expression of love and grace and mercy and kindness and goodness all came when he said, I want to make somebody who can just enjoy me and I can enjoy them and we can enjoy the sweetness together. That's his I love you. His I love you to us that the God of the universe would be present with us. And he asks one thing in return. Uh Uh-oh. There you go, buddy. You're welcome. Good manners, mom. He asks one thing in return. You know what it is? Leave my stuff alone. It says that he made this garden. In the middle of the garden, he put two trees. One was the tree of life, which you know what that actually is? It's to choose the presence of the Father. The other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is God's. And he says, please don't eat from it or else you'll die. Why? Because this is mine. I have better for you. This is mine. I just want you to trust me and be present with me. Please don't eat from this. Our I love you back to God and his presence is obedience and trust. That's why Jesus said, the one who has my commands and holds to them, the one who obeys them is the one who loves me. And I will make my, listen, I will make my presence with them. My father and I will come and live in them. We'll be present. That's what Jesus was saying, what the father was saying, what God was saying to man was, listen, I love you so much. I love you so much. I made you to be present with me. Now love me enough to leave my stuff alone. And trust me. Just trust me. Let's read on. Where are we? Verse 
So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree in the middle, in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be what? A what? Alone. alone. Is he alone? Wasn't he just with God? What's this alone thing, alone? Let's look at that for a minute. Who said it? Hmm. What verse are we on? Thank you. Chapter two? Okay, thanks. So it says, the Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for him to be alone. I will make a what? What's it say? I will make a, a what? You know, I love this. All four services have done the same thing. It doesn't say helper. Only. What's this actually say? Suitable. A suitable helper. A helper that is suitable for him. You know why it's important that we see the word suitable? We want the help, but what we don't recognize is that he wants us to be suitable. Because if we don't see suitable, then you know what? Then Adam wasn't really alone, because he was with God, and God was lying, or he was wrong, or mistaken. Whoops, didn't realize we were together. No, you know what he's saying? I'll make a helper suitable for you. One who is, listen, equal and adequate. One who fits with you. See, when we recognize that, we begin to realize the truth of the fact that Adam and God were not equal and adequate, so they weren't suitable. Although they were together and present, Adam needed something more. And so what did he do next? I will make a helper suitable, then what did he do? What did he do? We're going to study this more in the next couple of weeks. Let's keep going. Here we go. Ready? Verse 19. Now the Lord God, now 18, don't go too fast. That was me, not you. Okay, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, what? For Adam, what? No suitable partner was found. What was God doing? You know, there's a moment, if you've not seen the Passion of the Christ, or even if you haven't seen the Passion of the Christ, there's a moment in time where Jesus is on the cross and, and he has he is cried out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? That's so important because that is the moment I believe that Jesus became sin on our behalf. Corinthians says that he who knew no sin was made sin for me. That he would receive my punishment and atone or pay for my sin and that way he now is my righteousness. He is now who makes me right with God. That person, that act, that moment, that sacrifice. And when he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can only imagine at that moment, that is the moment that the father who cannot look at sin turns his face from his son. In the moment, this moment in the movie, the camera pans back from the cross up, and you see this scape. And the lens changes. It goes from this panoramic view to a fisheye lens, and it goes whoop, and almost like a globe. And it warps everything. And what you begin to realize is it's, it's, it's a droplet forming. So the storm is beginning to rage as Jesus is dying on the cross. I'm thinking, that's awesome. This is like a raindrop from the storm. And it falls, and you watch it, and it crashes on the ground. As it crashes on the ground, at that moment, the earth begins to quake and split. And I thought, that's crazy. And then last night, a friend of mine walks to me afterward. He goes, isn't that moment when God's tear forms the most amazing thing of that movie? 
Like what tear? Oh, shoot. I missed it completely. Stop. This is about presence, right? We, I, God, us together, present, will create man in our image to be present. And there's nothing more important to me than presence. And Jesus now coming to pay the price to restore presence for the first time in his life, the moment he becomes sin for me, the father has to turn his face, experiences separation. Because the agony on the cross was not merely the body being broken. Even more than that, more profound than that, was his person being separated from his father. And at that moment, presence dies. Why? See, if we were to continue to read in the creation story, it said that Adam and Eve would eat fruit from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That they would hide from the Father. And the Father would, Jesus would come down the garden calling for Adam. So desperately does he want presence. He calls out to the man and says, where are you? And he says, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Have you eaten? Have you, we're naked. Who told you we were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? You know what didn't happen at that moment? Adam didn't die. God said, you'll surely die. Well, was God lying? Was he wrong? Or was he talking about the death of something different? Because you know what died at that moment? Presence. And their sins separated them from the Father. And their sins separated them from one another. And their sin would separate man through history. And Jesus, at this moment on the cross, when the tear of the Father begins to form and splash down on the earth and crash into the brokenness that is this earth, is the very moment that Jesus suffered our separation for the first time in eternity. And he did this to taste it for us, to bring reconciliation to presence for us and with us. And that is the resurrection. That God now would allow Jesus to stay in the tomb for three days, distant and broken and dead, and would say, enough is enough. I've had enough. The payment has been made, and he punches through the atmosphere, and he brings Jesus back to life and back into his what? Presence. And to do what? To restore us to presence. That's the purpose of creation, the sacrifice, redemption, listen, the church, and the kingdom in eternity. That God so wants our presence and for us to experience his presence and to be present with one another, that our heart will long for nothing more than presence. And our lives will only be right when we are present, first with the Father through Christ Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, and his indwelling presence in us, and present with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, and then all of us to a dying world who are desperate to see truth, and desperate to find presence, but running from it because they don't understand what all of this is. 
and it is ours then to bring it. Does this make sense? This is the beauty. The portrait of us and Jesus. There's so much to read, so I'm glad nobody has lunch plans. We're going to read one more passage. I'm going to ask the choir and the band to get in place. I'm going to ask us not to be distracted as they move. I want to let you know that the notes, all of the notes, at least the verses from which this comes, will be posted on our Facebook page after the service. And I would encourage you to be present in them, to read them. They've been... They've been They've been chosen and designed to help us better understand this entire concept. But I want us to get a glimpse into eternity and what it is that God was doing and why it is he did it and what it is we have to look forward to and why being present, listen to me, why being present is so, so vital to us now. Mike, would you come here for a second? Actually, Mike, you stay. Chris, you come. This is my friend Chris. Everybody say hi, Chris. Oh, you can do better than that. I like Chris. Right. Really? Yeah. It's just because I'm shorter than you. How long have we known each other, Miss Chris? I've lost count. <laughs> 10, 15? 15 years, probably. Probably close. Chris was actually part of the core group when we planted Mosaic, right? We were pretty, no, pretty, pretty close after. Pretty close after that. So you've been here, what, eight or nine years? Nine. Nine. And you just came back to the narthex and told me what? This is the first time I've been able to have Easter here mm. with my family. What did it do to you? Overwhelmed me. I've known Chris. We've done youth work together forever. And we've been in ministry, hooked, you know, connected at the hip, close and distant for a long, long time. And so when she came out to the narthex crying during worship, I thought something was wrong. In fact, she just got out of the hospital recently, and I thought, oh, my goodness, she's sick again. And then she says to me, she says, this is the first time I've been here on Easter. I'm like, so? I'm a guy. I don't get it. <laughs> and then she began to explain to me what that meant. You know what I had to do at that moment? I had to go from being with to being present. To hearing the words, but not picking up on what they meant. To liking Chris to loving Chris. To engage in the moment. And to realize that what she was saying was she's not been present with her family on this important day ever. And that today is so good to be present. She couldn't keep it together. And you know what we did? We hugged. You know what my heart did? It melted. Because we were present. Thank you. That's what presence does. And that's what Jesus' presence did, does, and listen, will do. 
And what he says is, now I want you present with one another. When John says, he says, listen, how can you say you love God who you cannot see if you can't love your brother who's right there in front of you? What he meant was, how can you think that you're present with the Father when you can't be present with one another? That we practice the presence of God by practicing presence with one another, by dignifying and respecting and honoring and loving, by listening and honing in on the moment and being willing to put everything down because what shows Mark value is when I speak to him and he speaks to me that my heart is engaged that I'm listening closely and that I care deeply and that everything else falls off. Boom. Everything else falls off. When we choose to be present so let us understand this. This moment in which we're present now, guess what? It's all you got. What are you gonna do with it? This is all you have. We could all just drop dead this second, just blink. What do we do with that moment? Did we learn presence from our Father? Do we see it in Jesus? Will we practice it together? Will we learn to love? Will we take that love with us? And will we take it to places that are dark and who don't understand, where light so desperately wants to get in and life wants to so much grow, and yet they run because they don't understand. They don't understand. And Jesus gives us the privilege of being the ones that brings understanding. To be present. Does this make sense? So let's read this and we'll be done. Ready? Revelation chapter 21. Says then I saw this is verse one Revelation twenty one I'm sorry last book in the Bible last second to last chapter in the Bible first verse of that chapter. We ready? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. How beautiful was this? It was prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is what? With, present with men. I will be present. Look what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will be present with them. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will reach out and he will touch each one of us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of separation has passed by. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will, give, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life, from the very presence of me. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I will be her God and she will be my daughter. I will be their God, and they will be my children. And we will be eternally present. Present. Amen? Let's stand and sing.